0: I've been listening to The Young and the Hopeless by Good Charlotte for years.
1: And I listened to it once yesterday.
0: Welcome to Spin It! everybody, welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. Connor, say anything. Happy Palindrome Week! Yeah, the whole week is a palindrome, isn't it? All the way up through the 28th. Of February.
1: Dating this recording.
0: Yeah, that's when we're recording it. He wished you, it will have been Palindrome Week already by the time you listen to this, but I hope you had a happy one regardless. I hope you had a good Palindrome Week, and I also hope you have a good Charlotte. That's (laughs) that's a bad joke. A real bad joke. (laughs) I know. Well, what are you going to do? That's the band we're talking about this week, going to some classic, you know, like roots pop punk, right? We, we've we had Machine Gun Kelly with this new wave pop punk revival stuff, but this is like foundational turn of the millennium emo that we're talking about here. This is the real deal. Have you listened to much Good Charlotte or I, I guess? Absolutely not. Just going to say, <laughs> do you know, any pop punk in general? Uh, not really. No, like the Avril Lavigne's, the Blink-182's? Nope. Well,
1: you're
0: going to learn. Over the course of a podcast, you'll pick them up. Okay, so before we get into the episode, really, we have to address something. Last week, we mentioned that Jared Leto...
1: Are you sure you don't want to wait a couple of weeks like we typically do? You know, really put a good gap between the content? (laughs) Really put a good gap between
0: content? No, no. uh, We have the ability to go week to week this time. Last week, we talked about how Jared Leto did not invest in grapes, but... We explored some of the intricacies of the cotton candy grape, which neither of us had tried. And so in the, you know, time since then, we've both acquired some cotton candy grapes and we've not yet tasted them. We're going to try them right now and tell you our unfiltered thoughts. I'm excited. I am too. I, I've had these in my fridge for days, <laughs> just waiting. <laughs> and they've been taunting sitting here you. taunting me. It's, I'm so ready. All right. Should we count it down?
1: Oh gosh, I'm not ready. Let me get one. Get a grape. Come on. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. I'm ready. It's in my hand. I can feel the cotton candiness. It's so light and and fluffy, yeah, and not blue or pink, which is a
0: little disappointing. No, actually, yeah, the color of the grape is like a weird muted green. It looks like a green grape, I mean, but it, it's also I say, it looks
1: like a green grape. I don't think it looks that weird. Let's not shame the grape's it's color. It's not right. nearly
0: as vibrant. I'm not shaming it. It's it's okay, but called it weird. That's pretty shameful.
1: Weird is cool. the The punkness has gotten to you on this album. Weird is cool. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, let's let's eat all the right, grape. Cut it down. Three, two, one. Grape. Ooh. it tastes like cotton candy. Uh huh.
1: <laughs> Surprisingly, so. I don't know why I didn't expect that. It it's not like subtle. It it's it's cotton candy. It is straight up cotton candy. Yeah.
0: But it's like less sweet than an actual grape. I don't know how they've done it.
1: That's just probably due the the less sweetness is probably just a a, a factor of the genetic splicing. Of the two different, probably one of the grapes that it's based off of was a less sweet grape. I don't know. I don't know either. I'm just
0: saying, I'm just saying, that's a lot like cotton candy. That was, that's really bizarre. So we highly recommend, I suppose, the cotton candy grape. Jared Leto, invest your money.
1: I think I might give this the first spin it 10 out of 10. (laughs) 10 out of 10 cotton candy grapes for me because I'm going to eat all of them. Right here, right now, during the rest of this episode. So if you ever hear me not answer, it's because I'm eating grapes. No, same here. What's your unit for grape flavor? I think it's got to be 10 out of 10 cotton candy grapes. 10 cotton candy grapes out of 10? 10. 10 cotton candy grapes out of 10 cotton candy grapes, because I am eating 100% of these grapes during this episode.
0: Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever. All right, well, there, there you have it. Our first ever um, spin it taste test.
1: And you can bet, I'm sorry to you all in advance, who clicked on this episode and saw some clickbaity description about the first possible 10 out of 10. I'm sure we won't be able to help ourselves.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right. (laughs) Well, good Charlotte is from Waldorf, Maryland. Maybe a first band that we talk about from there. Maybe the only band that we ever talk about from Waldorf, Maryland. They formed in 1996, and their first run was from 96 to 2011. They've got that really classic pop-punk sound, right? Like I've talked about, it's a lot of heavy guitars, a lot of angsty lyrics, a lot of the, um, I don't know, the vocal style. Everything about it is deep, like it's core pop-punk. If you're looking for like stylistic comparisons... Uh, Members of the band have cited Green Day, The Beastie Boys, The Sex Pistols, The Smiths, and The Cure as significant influences on, you know, different members of this band. Their lineup initially consisted of brothers Joel Madden, who's the lead vocalist, and Benji Madden, who plays the guitars and does some background vocals. Then there's Paul Thomas, the bass player, and Aaron Escalopio, who plays the drums. But he left in 2001, which means the drums on The Young and the Hopeless are credited to Josh Freese. And if you haven't heard of Josh Freese by name, chances are you've probably heard his drumming. Aside from Session Drums on this record, he has also played in various different capacities for bands like A Perfect Circle, for Three Doors Down, Paramore, Nine Inch Nails, Devo, Sting, Guns N' Roses, The Offspring, Weezer, Motley Crue, Evanescence, Seether, Hollywood Undead, and way more. So he is our drummer on this record. (laughs) And he's a drummer that's kind of been a little bit everywhere in the rock, pop, punk, punk world. He's really made the rounds. And then in 1998, so also on this album, they added Billy Martin to the lineup on the guitar and the keys. So that was their first initial run. The band took a little bit of a break from 2011 to 2015, but that was just a short hiatus. They're still around today, and the core four has really remained the same, along with drummer Dean Butterworth, who has been with the band since 2005. So good, Charlotte. They're still doing things, still making moves.
1: They're still good, and they're still Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't help but hear "Good Charlotte" and think of Charlotte's Web. <laughs>
0: I know. Yeah, same. It's just because that's like the the most common thing I associate
1: the name Charlotte with. It's the most iconic use of Charlotte ever in the history of the, of the universe. The most iconic Charlotte is the spider.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I guess <laughs> that's up for that's up <laughs> for debate, but that's probably. <laughs> Not the most unpopular opinion. Maybe the band is named after her. I
1: don't know. They're not.
0: I actually have never looked into it, although I guess I probably should have.
1: Yeah, the the band's named after a children's story. Charlotte's Web.
0: Nope. (laughs) Just saying. It all lines up.
1: Yeah, they're named after the children's book, uh, Good Charlotte Colin Girls of the Good Day Orphanage by Carol Beach York.
0: Oh, well, yeah, the name's pretty directly lifted from that then. What's that book about? Do you know?
1: I'll just read you the summary Google gave me when I Googled it. Yeah, sure. That's good enough for me. Taddy is always in trouble. When a mysterious girl with blue hair shows up one rainy day, Taddy is the only one who believes she's a princess. Who is she really? And why does she want Taddy to be her friend?
0: That's quite a story. I, I am curious why they picked it, to be honest, but the world may never know. Or the world may know, and and I just don't know at the
1: moment. My only question to you, James. Which of the members of Good Charlotte is secretly a blue-haired princess?
0: Well, it's a very well-kept secret. I don't know. Added to the mystery department? (laughs) Yeah, maybe.
1: (sighs) The Mystery department's getting a lot of workload.
0: No kidding. What's not a mystery are the band's awards. Good Charlotte's got some pretty significant international awards throughout their career. They won both the 2003 Kerrang! Award for Best Single and the MTV Viewer's Choice Award for Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, a song with which you are now familiar. Uh, MTV Australia earned them the Viewer's Choice Award for 2007's Keep Your Hands Off My Girl. They were nominated for MTV Europe Music Awards for Best Rock, Best Band, and Best New Act in 2003, 04, and 07. The anthem also won an MTV Japan Award and a Much Music Video Award in Canada. In total, they've picked up nine awards on 21 nominations, which spans their career, but, you know... Notably, it's largely concentrated right around the release of this album, coincidentally. Another fun tidbit is that the band is actually very outspoken about their passion for animal rights. Billy Martin was PETA's Vegetarian of the Year in 2012. I didn't know PETA named a Vegetarian of the Year. But now you do. And one year it was Billy Martin. They've actually worked really closely with PETA in the past, and even have a song on PETA's special Liberation CD. So this week we're talking about, of course, Good Charlotte's album, The Young and The Hopeless, it's Good Charlotte's second of seven studio albums, and it's the one that really launched them into the mainstream. Like I said, most of their awards were kind of focused around this record. It came out in October 2002, and they supported it with an international headlining tour, which is actually very impressive, and it speaks to how well this album did, because they almost got dropped from the label after their debut, because their first record was not much of a performer it it was really struggling but they just barely held on because of their really high visibility tour schedule they worked with blink 182 and they appeared on the warp tour right van's warp tour everybody if you know you know (laughs) rip warp tour i don't know you don't know
1: can't say that i do
0: it that was like the the alt pop punk punk emo place to be they did a whole bunch it was like annually right they would do a tour around the whole country with a huge lineup And it was really... uh, I never went. It was a little bit before my time. It's supposed to be awesome. But anyway, those tour appearances were just enough to get him by, squeak him through to the second record, and and that one really took off. The Young and the Hopeless was certified three times platinum by the RIAA, which is a reminder, you know, it's it's three million copies. It also hit top 20 in New Zealand, Sweden, Australia... The UK and Austria, so worldwide top twenty. And now it's uh, it's gonna be a spin It album. I don't know whether it's gonna make your top twenty or not. Top thirty four. It'll be somewhere in the top thirty four uh, as of the episode being released.
1: As of this episode, no promises after this episode.
0: <laughs> right, I know. Well, that's all I've got for you. I guess it's time we get into some more fact or spin.
1: I feel like I wanna, t- I wanna, f- I also wanna put out an official Spin It retraction. What's that? I'm sure I know some punk. There's just no way I don't, right? You have to. I just, I guess punk is like a weird genre to define, right? Because it's a lot about the message as it is the style. That's true. Yeah. And so some things that might sound like a typical punk album really aren't. And other things that are don't necessarily sound like it. But also, you know, I grew up in the early 2000s where I'm sure there, I've heard plenty of those early 2000 punk artist songs that were popular.
0: Yeah. All the small things.
1: Yeah. So while I can't name any off the top of my head, I'm absolutely certain I've heard them.
0: Okay, fair enough. Hey, it's me,
1: the mixtape. Welcome back.
0: Is Connor going to share any of the cotton candy grapes with you?
1: Uh, he got me my own set. Don't worry. <laughs> your
0: own? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm eating one right now. He got you your own set of grapes? Yeah.
1: Oh, like a bushel? Is it's a bushel of grapes, right?
0: I've I think they come in bunches.
1: Bunches? I guess bunches is probably... Yeah, that sounds right. Vines? What if I had a vine? What if they were on a vine and not in a Tupperware container like they are? <laughs> you have cotton candy grapes growing on a vine. Off the vine. <laughs> yeah. It's my second favorite fruit that tastes like it tastes like a... Dessert. Okay, what's the first? Uh, the vanilla ice cream banana.
0: Oh, that's another thing I haven't had. I've heard of it, but have not had it.
1: Tastes like vanilla, consistency of ice cream. It's blue instead of yellow. What's not to love?
0: I had I, couple things, maybe, but that's not important. We're here to talk about Good Charlotte.
1: No, I refuse. You <laughs> refuse? I'm rebelling.
0: Oh, that's very punk of you. I see, I see <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, let's just jump right into it, shall we? Yeah, we shall. Did you mention in your rundown about the about the artists that the two brothers, uh, Benji and Joel, are twin brothers?
0: I didn't mention that they were twins.
1: No. Yeah, so they're identical twins, to to be exact. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure we are all operating on the same information here. For my first fact, Joel used Benji's driver's license.
0: Fantastic. Sounds like a classic identical twin prank.
1: It was less of a prank and more of a necessity, but yeah. Sure.
0: So it's it sounds like one of them had a driver's license and the other one didn't, right?
1: Yes. Joel failed his driver's test. Oh.
0: <laughs> and was Benji okay with this or did Joel swipe it? Because like if I had someone who failed a driver's test who like certifiably could not drive, I don't know if I'd be super willing to like let them pass themselves off as me.
1: No, he had no idea. Okay. I mean, he does now, obviously, but... <laughs> sure. At the time, he didn't. Did, was this like a recurring thing or a one-time... Uh, I only know of one specific scenario, I don't know. Did Joel get in
0: trouble with the license? Nope. Okay, he got away. Yeah. How'd he steal the license? Did, did Benji just carelessly leave a wallet around?
1: No idea. Okay, um... Why did he need the license,
0: Taper? So you say it was out of necessity. Why did Joel need to go somewhere so badly? He had a date. A date? Okay, so uh, I'm guessing he's he's probably 16, right? 17 at this time, and he's got a date. hmm Where's he got to drive so badly? Did he pick up his date in, oh my gosh, did his date know that he couldn't drive?
1: Who knows if he disclosed that information.
0: I thought you might, but okay, that's a ooh, wild time. It's a wild time there. And he didn't, nothing went wrong. He didn't get into an accident or anything. I didn't say that. Well, you said he didn't get in trouble. He said he didn't get in trouble, so I just assumed. Okay, so he then did have trouble driving.
1: Well, to impress his date, he tried to do some burnouts in a field.
0: (laughs) Yeah, as one does.
1: Did not go well, and he knocked the front bumper off of the car.
0: Whoa, what, did he hit something? What did he hit? Just a bumper.
1: I assume probably a rock or something out in the middle of the field, right? (laughs)
0: A rock in the middle of the field? Yeah, sure. Wow, what does Date have to say?
1: I bet you she was impressed. (laughs) I bet she was. If he knocked the bumper off, how didn't he get caught, (laughs) Mixtaper? Good question. So if he knocked off the whole bumper of this
0: car, how did he get away with having the fake license?
1: He took the bumper back to the house with him and then parked the car super close to the garage and laid the bumper in front of it. Benji just assumed he had knocked his own bumper off and didn't realize it.
0: You're kidding. How would you not realize knocking your own bumper off? Wow. Well, I mean, clearly he didn't. But I don't know how you'd even conceptualize that that was a thing that you had done. So when did this finally come to light? Like when they were adults? Or did something else happen
1: that he found out? Yeah, he eventually told him. you know, a couple years later. Sure.
0: So who paid to repair the car? Was that out of Benji's pocket, I guess?
1: Oh, yeah. Benji had to... Uh, Benji paid to fix his car. Dang.
0: Okay, I'm going to say that this this is a fact. Uh, You know... Twin brothers, shenanigans ensue. I, I guess if you need to drive for a date, that seems like a, a bad plan, but as logical of a plan as any. The part that's a little bit baffling is that he wouldn't think anything of the bumper having just fallen off of the car, but I'm willing to suspend that little qualm and go ahead and lock in fact.
1: This is a spin.
0: <laughs> Much like the car in a field of rocks. <laughs> it's a spin.
1: I'm glad that one got you. I like that one.
0: Yeah, that one got me pretty good. Do you know anyone that's done that?
1: Stolen somebody's car and knocked the bumper off?
0: Or you got know, like passed off their twin driver's license, more or less? I only know of, I think, one set of identical twins.
1: If I know any other identical th- twins, I'm sorry, I forgot about you.
0: Maybe you know a lot and they're all just pretending to be their
1: other sibling. <laughs> oh, I'd never thought of it that way, but you're right
0: okay well that's fact number one that's a that's a bummer but so be it
1: well don't worry you'll have another attempt uh here with the fun twin stories because my next fact for you is that joel played matchmaker uh for benji and his wife
0: Ooh, okay how did joel and benji's wife meet and op at an opening night for a movie oh that's fun which movie sex tape mm 2014 okay I put that in the wrong era. I was here thinking like some movie from the late 90s. <laughs> you know what I mean? The early 2000s, but this is like recent.
1: Not recent enough.
0: Uh, it's recent in my mind. I know 2014's been a while. Okay, what kind of interaction did they have at the movie?
1: Well, they were both in the movie.
0: Oh, ah, what made him think she'd be a good match for Benji?
1: Ah, okay, so here's where we get into the fun story. So, <clears throat> right, Joel was uh, got, to be an, got the opportunity to be the, an extra in the movie Sex Tape. Yeah. Which stars Cameron Diaz, who coincidentally is Benji's now wife. Interesting. That's Benji Madden, married to Cameron Diaz. Fun fact. Potentially. Potentially. Didn't know that. And at at this movie premiere, uh, the two, you know, were flirting, you know, as two single people do. And he said,
0: you should meet my brother.
1: No. He decided that he felt she'd be a better fit for his brother. So when he gave her his number, he gave... His brother's number instead. <laughs> oh, no. And then, you know, it was like, hey, I gave this hot chick that I was in a movie with your number and pretended to be you. So pretend like you had this experience. Did it work? Uh, uh He came clean on the first date, Uh, but oh, it did sure. get him a date. Uh, Yeah, that's true. They got married, so I'll say it worked, I guess.
0: The, yeah. well, Okay, but it wasn't like a long con thing where she found out way later and it was a huge problem.
1: <laughs> that that would have been. Yeah, the, maybe she doesn't know.
0: much like you she thinks she's never met an identical twin um oh interesting how long before they got married you know after they started dating they got married in 2015 oh wow that was quick interesting
1: i i like the story sounds like you don't believe it the way you said i makes me think you're gonna go spin the way i said i wow yeah i'm really
0: showing i'm not good at bluffing i think the most unlikely part about this is that an extra in the movie would have much time at all to talk to the star of the movie, right?
1: He wasn't, like, just... He wasn't, like, a extra just background. Like, he had lines.
0: Oh. And when you say extra, I thought you just meant he was, like, a body in the
1: movie. <laughs> he was just there. He was just, like, one of those characters that, like, is in, like, one scene, says a couple lines, and is done.
0: Sure. Okay, that's a little better. I'm... Gonna go ahead and say this is. You're a still f- gonna
1: say spin though, yeah.
0: No. Oh, whoa! I wasn't gonna say spin.
1: Sorry, not, I didn't mean to put uh, answers in your mouth.
0: <laughs> put cotton candy grapes in my mouth instead.
1: Oh, I'm doing that over here.
0: <laughs> I I was gonna say fact. I think because the only part of it that sounds Spanish is the extra thing. Um, so I I guess I'm gonna go ahead and say fact again. There's got to be they're identical twins. There's got to be at least one cool twin fact, right?
1: Well. This is a spin. Oh, man. <laughs> How spun though. He Benji Madden is indeed married to Cameron Diaz, but that's the only true thing I said. Oh, and Sex Tape is a movie Cameron Diaz was in in 2014. I guess that was also true.
0: <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah, that's also true. Wow. Ooh. Ooh, I I bit the dust hard on that one. Okay. Uh what do you have? For fact
1: number three Alright <clears throat> Fact number three We're gonna call this one The Unfortunate Mix-Up
0: The Unfortunate Mix-Up Sounds like another twin fact Unless it's another twin spin
1: It is Are you noticing a theme?
0: The theme is that they're twins
1: Yeah Oh, I'm ex- I, The floor is now open for questions
0: What? <laughs> what?
1: I, call it, I call it, It's called the Unfortunate Mix-Up Ask questions
0: <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna call it a, a fact
1: i mean if you want to walk in okay so uh, so just gonna
0: open it to all (laughs) kinds of questions i can ask whatever Uh uh-huh when did this happen this happened 2010 okay how did the other band members feel about this
1: one of them found it funny the other one probably didn't know
0: if you if you were just um if you're just wondering audience no i don't know what this is yet i'm trying to reverse engineer it back To something that I can understand. So the other band uh, members probably found it funny. Did they trade instruments and like trade places in the band for a day or something? No. Okay. I don't know. What was so mixed up? One of Joel Madden's
1: friends thought he cheated on his wife.
0: So we'll cut that part out. And then we'll just have the part here where I go, did one of Joel Madden's friends think that he cheated on his wife?
1: Correct. Wow. How did you know?
0: (laughs) We definitely didn't cut anything out right there. Interesting. So I'm guessing someone saw Benji, his wife, and, you know, they thought it was a, a mistake. I don't know. What happened?
1: You're just going to make me give you all the details?
0: <laughs> You're telling me nothing. Um, so if it was a mix-up, obviously Joel didn't cheat on his wife. Was Benji seen with someone else and they thought it was Joel? Correct. Okay.
1: Oh, you wanted more info. <laughs> yeah, I would like. I would like some more information. <laughs> Benji big comic fan. Okay. And I'm talking like comedians, not like superheroes. Right. And so he went to a like I guess open mic night kind of situation with with a girl and Joel Madden's buddy also happened to be at that open mic night and saw him with this girl and thought it was Joel.
0: Oh, weird that he didn't make any move to like approach and say hi or
1: If you saw one of your friends' husbands at a place and saw him kissing someone else. Would you approach them in the moment? I don't think I would.
0: Well, they were making out at open mic night, open mouth night.
1: Oh, uh, <laughs> goodness.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. If they were obviously a little preoccupied, I might just keep my distance.
1: In fact, he never actually said anything ever. Oh, who else squealed? And also, you
0: you know he was a twin, right? Had he not met Benji? Uh,
1: no, he did not. He was fr- so he was friends of of Joel's wife.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And so no, he did not realize that Joel's wife had married a twin.
0: Right. So he didn't tell anybody
1: how this come to light. I guess the Maddens had a party At their place, in which both Joel and Finji were in attendance, and oh, he saw the twins together. He saw double and put two and two together, and that's when the story finally came to light. He was like, Oh my god, I couldn't believe I thought this. Like, I, it, 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 years went by, right? He debated it for years whether or not to say anything. Years, he didn't know if it was his place. Like, oh man, it was a whole ordeal. Luckily, it was just an unfortunate
0: mix up. I keep saying facts because all these twin things seem so cool, and one of them's got to be true. And so this time you're saying spin. No, this time I'm sticking with fact. One of your twin things has to be true. You can't just make up a bunch of twin facts, and they're all fake.
1: Well, so far I'm three for three, because this is a spin. <laughs> I keep making up twin facts. I can't believe it. Do you want to guess what my fourth fact is?
0: No, I didn't even want to guess what your third fact was, but you really just made me take a swing at it.
1: So, my, my last fact for you, both... Benji and Joel were judges on The Voice.
0: Oh, man. Another The Voice fact. Uh, Were they judges at the same time? Uh... No. Was one of them supposed to be a judge and the other one just swapped out for a couple episodes because twins?
1: Correct. (laughs) That's why it wasn't at the same time. Same season, but not the same time. Did they tell people? Like,
0: people were in on it or not?
1: Uh, Well, they revealed it after the fact, you know, a couple episodes. They did the swap. For an episode, and then the next episode, they're like, surprise! Wow. I, I, I almost guarantee, you, like, the production crew was aware of it, right? It was just probably the other judges and the contestants. Right.
0: Now, did they try and pull any shenanigans? Like, if I was the, the mischievous brother... I would jump in there and, like, spin the chair on all the bad people. Did anything like that happen? I don't know. I've never properly watched The Voice. I know they spin around a lot. And, uh, yeah, then they pick people to, like, coach, right? I don't know where in the process this happened.
1: This was during this was during Phase 2 of The Voice, so the chair spinning around was kind of done.
0: Okay. Well, that's a shame. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's a fact there. Um,
1: Which season of The Voice, mixtaper?
0: What season of The Voice did this... Go down on.
1: This was the first season of the voice Australia.
0: Oh, not even American the Voice.
1: Of which Joel was a member of from its first season in 2012 through its fifth season in 2016.
0: I'd never considered that it would be Australia, but I like I did mention, this album went up to the top twenty in Australia. So they might have a quite a following there. It's tough, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is a spin.
1: You're going spin. You think I've
0: made up four twin facts? I think you made up four twin facts. spinning It's a spin like the chair in the first round of The Voice. This is
1: a fact-based oh. spin. Oh, okay, wow. <laughs> wow, man, you really are
0: tricky and diabolical. That was close.
1: Joel was a coach on The Voice Australia for seasons one through five. And his brother, Benji, was his assistance coach, also on The Voice Kids, which they were a part of, but never did they do a swap.
0: The swap was ambitious. Okay, well, oh, I'm breathing a sigh of relief after that one.
1: I almost got you. Almost got you with a perfect week. I
0: snagged it back at the last second.
1: It feels good to have won one, you know, three to one. <laughs> your first, Your first win of season two. And with that, I'll see you next week. For a less twin centered episode.
0: It better be
1: a Factor Spin.
0: I'm excited for next week, but uh no spoilers. But we'll see you then.
1: It's Janice Joplin.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he spoiled it. Well, anyway, that's 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 next week. This week, welcome back, Connor. <clears throat> oh hey, how's it going? Just eating some grapes. Just munching on some grapes straight off the vine.
1: No, that's the mixtaper. His is on vines.
0: Oh, you gave him the vine. That seems fitting. Anyway, let's talk about The Young and the Hopeless. And let's start with the cover, right? The The very first place that everybody should judge it by.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: It's interesting. I, I like the shade of green that they've chosen for their text.
1: I was stuff but That was my first note, too, was the shade of green for the text is phenomenal.
0: It also screams early 2000s pop punk to me.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, the whole album cover does. It's, it's, an, it's an illustration of an old-timey family watching an atomic bomb explode on a giant TV set, right? So it looks like it's from the 40s or 50s, like Cold War era. And, uh, and you know it's got the title, Good Charlotte, is written out across the top. And then The Young and the Hopeless is in script along the bottom. And uh, I, I like the album cover, honestly, because first of all, so much of this album centers around troubled family life. Right, the story of my old man, uh, emotionless. A lot of these songs involve, you know, their relationship to their father. So that's the family dynamic, right? And then the young and the hopeless. Well, to be this kid watching the atomic bomb explode on TV, that feels. I mean, he is young, and that feels a little hopeless in a lot of ways. It's a it's a provocative album cover. It it captivates you, right? But I don't think it looks good.
1: Really, I I think it looks. It looks if like if you were like create what you think a punk albums art would be this is about what i would do
0: yeah no you're right my main problem with it is the vignette that comes around the sides right it's black along it's like blacked out in a circle around the outside and eh, it's okay
1: and i like how like the the art style is very i don't even know how to describe it fake looking like there's just something unnatural about it i think
0: what's unnatural in a little bit of a way kind of unsettling is all their demeanor watching this go down they're just calm kind of in acceptance of it and they're not really panicking or
1: which is again very fitting for a punk album it's like the, that kind of commentary
0: definitely I, I i think it fits very well but yeah there's just something about it i like how creative
1: it is isn't bland
0: very true yeah <laughs> 30 seconds to mars Indistinct. it's unique and distinct like this this is this album and no other album is like it regarding the cover before we get into the album let's talk about The concept of The Young and the Hopeless and the title and stuff. The band said The Young and the Hopeless felt like the generation we were in. They said, If you remember, it was Y2K. We were the last of the golden year. We were the last wave of bands recording to tape before the music industry started falling apart and everyone ran for their lives. It was a really interesting time to be a band and not collapse. We definitely limped off the field. Surviving it was a lot of hard work. So that's kind of the context of where they're coming from as a band and you know they said it was the way that a generation felt in the early 2000s it was kind of this era of change everything's shifting and moving around
1: is that considered our era uh yeah maybe i mean we're kind of i mean we're like in that weird in between right yeah somewhere in the middle like we have the technological skill of the people slightly younger than us but the we can identify with some of the experiences of learning that technology that the people older than us had the experience was it we were not just born with it
0: right like three year old me knew how to work a vcr better than current me does you know it's just a thing like that (laughs) yeah track one on this album is one that i think you probably enjoyed
1: there's one way to make me like to start an album off on a high note for me it's with an instrumental track
0: yeah yeah that's true and and the first track on this album a new beginning is exactly that it's a nice little overture because you probably didn't pick it up when you were listening but you could hear little tiny elements little tiny sneak peeks of some of the later songs that are coming on the album. I think it's a really good instrumental. It really sets the scene. I mean, you look at this album cover of this like weird cognitive dissonance of being calm in the face of this pant like this epidemic this problem, right? And and then we get into this very cinematic new beginning. It just feels right. It just clicks. And we pull out of the instrumental straight into the anthem. The anthem is, I mean, technically the album's second track, but it's the first proper song with, you know, sections and vocals and stuff, lyrics. The anthem is probably one of Good Charlotte's most famous songs. And when I first picked up this album, I'll be honest, I didn't even know that I knew it, <laughs> but I did. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't figure it out. I didn't realize it was one I knew until we got to the, you don't want to be just like you. Then I was like, oh, I know this. The anthem was the album's second single and it came with a cool, skateboardy bmx bike pop punk music video honestly a little bit of a relic you know a time capsule for that era what'd you think of the anthem it was it your first time hearing it or did you like half know it like i did
1: there's a good chance i've heard it and just don't know it or remember it because it did have that i, I don't ever want to be like you that that chorus it does sound familiar but i i just i don't think so fair enough i do like this song it's a good one i'm just not a the biggest fan of the musical style, typically, like with a with a punk style band, you, there'll usually be two to three songs that I like, and everything else is just a miss for me. You know, the Scooby Doo movie that was kind of a punk band, right? The live action Scooby Doo movie from two thousand, the band that plays when they're on Spooky Island.
0: Sure, I searched Scooby Doo movie band, and Simple Plan came back. They also fit into the same genre. uh Yeah,
1: I like their songs in the Scooby Doo movies. There you go. Those are good songs.
0: I think what I'll say about the anthem uh, is that its attitude and its lyrics both uh, fit this music all too well. I don't know how well they go together like in the grand scheme of all music, but they're definitely very genre-appropriate, right? It's a new day, but it all feels old. It's a good life, that's what I'm told. Everything, it all just feels the same. Uh, it's a lot of very short, sweet, to-the-point lyrics, a lot of easier Low-hanging fruit rhymes, right? Old, told. But then, of course, we have at my high school, it felt more to me like a jail cell. High school is a jail cell. But my time spent there made me see that I don't ever want to be like you. I don't want to do the things you do. I like it.
1: Uh, Yeah, the uh, the chorus is groovy. It's the rest of it that kind of falls flat for me. Interesting.
0: I I think the rest of it really does a good job of keeping up the energy, at least on this track. right? They go from saying, I don't want this, I don't want this, to like they challenge you as the listener and say, is that really what you want to be? Or like, are you going to come on this journey with us? And I think that's cool. Not many songs take the opportunity to pull you in that way directly. But that's, I mean, that's pretty much the anthem. It's, uh, it's anthemic. It's one of the cornerstone tracks of this album. And I think it's one of the album's better ones. I haven't given thought... 100% to what I would put on our playlist from this album, but the anthem is...
1: And I said, that's not great considering that's coming up in 14 tracks. Well,
0: give me 14 tracks, I can think about it. Track three is another really, really popular song. A tentpole track of this album It's Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I feel like the combo of A New Beginning and then the anthem and then Lifestyles is an awesome introduction to the album. The order, to me, feels really perfect, and I wouldn't start this record... Literally any other way. You take these like 14 tracks, I literally could not arrange them in a better order for at least the first three.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. They're, they go well together.
0: And this is another song that has a pretty, you know, salient point to make. All these celebrities, they're so rich and famous and they're always like, they're just so out of touch with the life of the common person, right? And they're always begging for our sympathy. They're begging for our attention. Maybe we should do something about it. It's kind of the the gist of it. And I'll even concede to you, right, to prove to you further that I do not hate Miley Cyrus. We saw similar themes on her song Golden G-String, and I think that's unquestionably stronger in the lyrics department.
1: Just because you recognize that this is a lower bar then that doesn't mean you didn't put Miley's bar still way too low.
0: (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) The title of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous is actually a play on a TV series of the same name that was focused on the absurd lifestyle of wealthy people. I've never seen it, so I can't speak to it too much, but it's... Likely that that is where they got the name. I do love, you know, we get through the the whole verse of... It it introduces us to these celebrities who want sympathy, talking about how hard life can be. But the pre-chorus kind of starts to put the twist on it, where I'd like to see them spending a week in our shoes. I don't think they'd survive, like normal people. They'd stumble and they'd fall. And I really love the way at the end of that pre-chorus, they fall on the word fall into their big chorus. Maybe one of the biggest choruses on this record, but but I think it doesn't end right, right? Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous are always complaining, sure, if money's such a problem, they've got mansions, think we should rob them. That feels a little weaker to me. I still, I mean, conceptually, sure, whatever, do you Robin Hood thing. Maybe it's because in my brain there's a cognitive dissonance. Like, if they've got a mansion, we can rob their mansion, but they also still have a mansion, right? It's not like a, it's not a thing you could take from them.
1: Now, what'd you think of the next track?
0: The next track? Oh, you liked Wondering, did you? I didn't say that. No? Okay. I just asked what you thought about it. It would just seemed like you were anxious to get to it. Conceptually, I love Wondering. If you don't want to tell me what's up, that's fine. I'm happy Wondering. I love that.
1: But... I felt there was a butt coming.
0: No, there's not really a butt
1: yet. Oh, the way you said you were like, conceptually, I just really thought there was about to be a butt. Like, practically, I hated it.
0: No, I don't practically hate it. I like that they start with the chorus, actually. That's a, a really neat feature of this one because the chorus is certainly their, their stronger point. Even though the verses take a bit of a dive from the absolute pinnacle that we were just at with the first pair of tracks, I think the chorus pulls you back, so it's smart that they start
1: that way. I like the style of the song better. And so that's going to be a lot... Of, like, I know you were talking about how the lyrics took a dive and stuff like that. To me, a lot of what I focused on with my listen was stylistic nuances between the songs. And I really like this song stylistically better than the previous two.
0: Interesting. It's it's notably a less pop punk track. I know. It steps back from the genre a little bit. <laughs>
1: I I wondered if you'd noticed that.
0: Oh, I noticed it, yeah. But I do like the quicker rhythms he tries to tackle on the verses and the vo- like the vocal harmonies. I think it plays really, really well with the longer pre-chorus and the chorus and all the times that they layer his own vocal with itself, singing the same melody. So the harmonies on the verses are really kind of refreshing. The next song, the story of my old man. Eh, eh. What's what? What does that eh mean? Do you think it's not as pop punk or oh, it's just all right? Significantly weaker song. I think it's just different. It's a little bit like comparing apples to oranges because Wondering...
1: You got to remember, I'm the most... I'm the subjective voice of the podcast and so... It's true. Me saying it's significantly weaker is really just the equivalent of me saying, I don't like it.
0: Right. Wondering is a song about being happy in a relationship and being content. Just wondering, you know, whatever you want. I'm happy just to to exist in the un known. But the story of My Old Man is way more grounded. It's like familial. It's it's actually like a punk thing. This is my experience and what I have a problem with. It's a little, you know, breakneck speed rebellion song. And this is something we'll see them do a lot. It's a place where they excel a lot. is shifting the feel of a song between the verses and the choruses. The chorus on this one pulls back and is way more withdrawn most of the time. But the verses, they're just going so hard. And I love the way that they can execute that little teeter-totter, that little seesaw between verse and chorus. And fast and slow i think it's cool in this when he talks about you know the story of my old man i'm telling you so you don't end up just like him he talks about the disease that he inherited from his dad yeah a really clever way to allude to alcoholism yep. and i like how they lay it out with days of the week it's an interesting perspective because it gives us the cyclical progression for his behavior it's not just he did this and he did that it's he did this every week every monday tuesday wednesday like it happened over and over and over and you just feel that as they walk through these different weeks.
1: Yeah, okay, that's true. I do like that. But also,
0: like, it still clings to that air of regret. To talk about being, like, young and hopeless, to see something like this unfolding around you as you're young, it really makes a difference in how you understand the world.
1: Makes you feel hopeless. Exactly. I I guess, yeah, conceptually, this is a good song. But practically, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) But No. (laughs) Sure. i'll I'll, I'll use that one since you didn't last time
0: fair enough the next track is girls and
1: boys boy if this isn't like a stereotypical (laughs) 2002 song
0: yeah i know i know i said it's even in my notes i went yep very pop punk i've said that so many times but really they are
1: really just very 2000s
0: yeah that's true i i like how no
1: nonsense this song is girls don't like boys girls like cars and money Boys will laugh at girls when they're not funny.
0: Yeah, I know. What, what a hot take, by the way. Girls don't like boys. Girls like cars and money. Oh, okay, sure. Ooh,
1: real controversial there. <laughs> right. I know, real, real something. Paper or plastic, don't matter. She'll have it. That's fun talking about money, you know? Yeah, it's a cool line. It's a cool line it with vacations and shopping sprees. These are a few of her favorite things. Like it's really so, just. It's a, it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> the girls with the bodies like boys, like with, boys Ferraris. with Ferraris. I know.
0: <laughs> what a line. They don't make them like that anymore. It's just, it's just funny because yeah, those lyrics are the content. But I love how sing-alongable this song is. It just gets stuck in your head.
1: Oh, I know. It's a shame that it's so (laughs) sing-alongable. The concept is just
0: laughable. But you know what? Hey, if you're a young, hopeless, angsty teenager... Maybe you go for this, I guess. I do love that the way that they construct the song musically, how they really lean into the chorus by speeding past that first verse to get you there as quickly as possible. It's like they know the verse isn't good, so they just keep it short. Educated with money, he's well-dressed, not funny. And then they get through a quick little pre-chorus, but all of a sudden, we're into the actual meat of the song, the chorus. And it's just smart of them to structure the song like that, even though it's a little dumb of them to write this song. It worked out for them, but Girls and Boys is not a song that's aged well. The next song is "My Bloody Valentine."
1: This was one that the title sounded familiar, but I definitely did not recognize the song. So maybe there's another song out there <laughs> called "My Bloody Valentine" or something. I don't know, but the, the title just really sprung out at me.
0: Yeah, the title really did spring out of you. Hang uh, on. Oh
1: no! Please don't tell me that that's a Machine Gun Kelly song. It's a
0: Machine Gun Kelly song. His is just called "Bloody Valentine," but yeah.
1: Gotcha. It doesn't have the word "my." Gotcha. Sure. Yeah,
0: this one's okay for me. I think it takes a while to click in. The first verse, the pre-chorus, it just doesn't get me there. By the time we get to the first real chorus, we're more than a minute into the song, and then after that, we have more drums and more context for the the rest of the verses and stuff, but it's just a long drag right at the start. And it's also, I mean, weird. It's, It's literally about a guy who's so jealous of some girl's boyfriend, maybe he's got a Ferrari, but he's so jealous of this guy that he literally murders him. It feels so lyrically out of left field, like this belongs more on the Avenged Sevenfold album than it does here first one i ripped out his throat and called you on the telephone to take off my disguise just in time to hear you cry like whoa where'd that come from i thought girls liked cars and money and the story of my old man like i was like i don't want to be like you and then all of a sudden we're ripping out throats i don't know it's really something I do like the little allusion to Edgar Allan Poe. No telltale heart was left to find when you mourn the death of your bloody valentine. Mm-hmm. I'll wash my bloody hands, we'll start a new life. I don't know. It, it's just, just out of left field for me. It's catchy enough, too. I, it's, again, another pretty sing-alongable one, on, along the chorus, at least. The real question remains, though. The question that we need to answer is who had the better bloody valentine song? I think Machine Gun Kelly did. I honestly agree with you. I don't think Machine Gun Kelly does everything better than Good Charlotte. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Machine Gun Kelly, again, super new wave pop punk. Very different than this, like, millennium stuff. But strictly on songs called Bloody Valentine, I think Machine Gun Kelly takes the cake. You know what? We're going to give him the official, spin it, best Bloody Valentine song award.
1: Wow! Who would have... If you would have told me... 34 episodes ago that Machiga and Kelly would be receiving a Spin It Award. I would have thought you were playing around a factor spin and lying to me.
0: Well, for a brief period of time, he had the Spin It Joan Jett Repetitive Award too. It was before it was called the Joan Jet Repetitive Award, but we did make a note of how many kiss kisses there were
1: in the song Kiss Kiss. You're right. He had the award before the award existed. Very hipster of him. Yeah. We need to put fact sheets, like data sheets together for this kind of stuff and put it up on the website I know. If a member of the Spin It uh, statistics department out there would like to put something like that together, please.
0: <laughs> yeah. The next song is called Hold On. We've officially crossed the halfway threshold. Don't think I haven't noticed that you've given nothing, nothing yet. But you're not getting any of them during the song analysis this week. Oh,
1: you're trying something different. I felt like my final spin stuff was too much just me restating things. And so I thought I'd try holding off on telling you which ones were my top three.
0: You're going to hold on. Even though you feel like letting go, it gets better than you know.
1: But what I will say is track eight, um, the second half of the album really started to click in for me way more than the first half did in terms of what I was listening to and what I liked.
0: Do you think that's just because you were getting used to it, like getting into a cold pool or something?
1: No, I don't think I did. Remember, I said earlier that I was really going to hone in on stylistic changes, and I felt like I noticed a significant, like the second, it's like the first seven decently go together stylistically like you said you had like wondering that was a bit of an outlier but the rest of them all kind of go together pretty well yeah and I feel like the second seven tracks eight through 14 do the same thing but tracks eight through 14 are noticeably different from tracks one through seven
0: you actually make a good point that's actually a very astute observation I think it's true I agree with you for one listen it's impressive right yeah congrats go ahead and pat yourself on the back have the mixtaper pat you on the back
1: I'm gonna pat myself on my back twice pat pat (laughs) And so, yeah, I like Hold On.
0: I do, too. Hold On, it's a bit of a feel-good, feel-bad song. The first verse paints this really dark picture of an abusive household, a broken home. That's, you know, that's the feel-bad part. But then, if you can make it all the way to the pre-chorus and the chorus, we all bleed the same way that you do. We all go through the same things. So, Hold On, if you feel like letting go, because it's better on the other side. I do love the big hold on in the chorus. The chorus is a good hit. Yeah, that always lands.
1: And what I've really... So, my big note for this song, they have... have a tendency to stretch out their phrases you know like the line but we all bleed the same way as you do they like but we all bleed the same way as you do. Like they'll stretch out several words throughout their phrase. I didn't, I, I never really want them to do that. You know, the verse is more stretched out and I'm okay with that. And then you should, you hit that pre-chorus that's like, it's just starting to build up to that big chorus hit of hold on. And I don't want you to keep like, try, it's like almost like they're tr- like, you know, the train is picking up speed and they got a rope on the end of it. And they're trying to pull the train back, keep the train from picking up too much speed too fast. I want them to just, you know, chug right along all the way up to that whole, Hold on, it's a train. Yeah, lassoing a
0: train <laughs> is what they're up to. Those darn train lassoers. The next track, I'm very curious to hear you take on, especially since you seem to be gravitating towards the second half of the album much more. What'd you think of Riot Girl? I like Riot Girl. Really? Did
1: you expect me not
0: to? I I guess I
1: kind of expected you not to
0: really yeah well it's another one that has lyrics a little bit like girls and boys to me
1: it feels a little cheesy oh no i agree the lyrics are a bit silly but um much like girls and boys it's sing-alongable and i like the instrumentation better on this one than i do girls and boys like i would say this is the second half's girls and boys you know but the instrumentation's done way better i like that big hit at the beginning, they kick the song off with in that instrumental riff that they do. Yeah. And I do think the lyrics are a little more clever. We don't just have girls want all their all the money in Ferraris. And this one you get and this one you get emergency call nine one one. She's pissed off at everyone. Police rescue FBI. She wants a ride. She wants a riot.
0: It gets me sometimes, though, like he tells Christina and Britney to avoid her. Like, repeatedly? Like, what a line. But yeah, I agree. And for the most part, it's better. The title, Riot Girl, by the way, is thought to be a reference to a wave of female-led punk acts that sprung up in the early 90s, including Bikini Kill, the band that Kurt Cobain's ex was in. Oh! <gasps> Oh. Yeah, that movement is called Riot Girl, but like G-R-R-R-L, like girl. So it makes sense that this song would be a reference to that.
1: Here's something I don't know if you picked up on or not. I don't know how much of a deep dive you did into the lyrics here.
0: Uh, A little deep. I don't know. what did you
1: find? Well, as I was listening, you know, I pull up the lyrics and read along to them as the song plays. I make sure I hear them right. Yeah. And I noticed in verse one, line two, that there were some capital letters and so i did a little digging she likes minor threat she she likes social distortion those are two other punk and rock bands yeah it's like she likes minor threat she likes social distortion if you didn't know those were band names that also just sounds like an edgy thing that she likes she likes a social distortion
0: yeah that's fair i never even i never even considered that those kind of work even if you don't have the context the next song after riot girl really pulled me back in riot girl lost me a little bit i'll admit but but say anything brings me right back in i like it you know it's the song he's on the phone with someone as this relationship is crumbling so he's begging please give me a sign say literally anything because it's better than not knowing which is funny because just like riot girl was the girls and boys of the second half of the album say anything is kind of like the second half's version of wondering because that time we're happy wondering. And this time we are so unhappy wondering.
1: Um, I don't really like say anything as well. I think it has a real funky groove at the beginning. It kicks off with that cymbal crash. Yeah. They play with the, um, again, I always listen to it with headphones on. And so they start playing with the stereo sound a bit as well with which side you're actually hearing the different in- instruments on.
0: Yeah. You got to love that. It gives the song so much
1: more depth. They really have that guitar coming on your left, and they keep the bass more on the right, which is kind of fun.
0: Yeah, it's a smart balance. Lyrically, I think this song has some of the stronger moments on the album. Yeah, I used to know the sound of a smile in your voice, but right now all I feel is the pain of the fighting starting up again.
1: The I used to know the sound of a smile in your voice is, I think, the best line in the entire album.
0: Thinking about it right now, I have nothing that can challenge that so
1: i agree with you it's so good and it's just hidden there in verse one yeah just buried the implication of that line as well right the i used to mean like that means that they've grown apart enough that he no longer can feel close enough to that person to distinguish yeah and and that instantly tells you that they were super close at one time and now they're super not And he's regretful of it. Yeah,
0: but to dig even deeper into that is they're still in this relationship. The fighting is just starting up again. I know. To hammer home just how long it's been that things have been bad. If you used to know the sound of a smile in someone's voice and you're still actively communicating with them, still dating them or, or, you know, being around them regularly. Oof. You know, that makes the pain of fighting starting up feel all the more real. Yeah. What'd you think of track 11, The Day
1: That I Die? Spoiler alert, I like this one too. Not as much, I think. This would probably be in my bottom two for the second half of the album. Yeah, that's fair. It's just, it's a bit simple. The lyric, the the vocal rhythms are pretty, it's pretty simple. Nothing crazy going on. The lyrics are back to not being much special. Not to mention
0: it's very different. It feels out of place on this album.
1: Yeah, but not in the way that, like, Wondering did.
0: Yeah, stylistically, this feels very out of place. and Because it's it's a sad song with a happy exterior,
1: right? So, like, Wondering would have fit perfectly in the second half of the album, stylistically. This fits nowhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. This track is kind of indicative of that really pessimistic, like, LOL, maybe I'll die. Like, this new age humor. It feels super directly in contrast with Hold On thematically. And it's even kind of a war with itself because of the, the contrast between the upbeat, sunshiny music, and then the gravity of its lyrics. Because the whole idea is, you know, one day I woke up knowing that today's the day that I'll die, and the song starts with him talking about his barking dog. That's Joel and Benji's dog, named Cash Dog, with a dollar sign for the S and two Gs. If you were curious, that's their real dog. Cash dog. Huh. So the song starts with this dog barking and they take him to the park. Uh, but then he talks in depth about all the processes that he goes through, right? All the people he talks to. He revisits the places that he loved. And he has to ask, like, did we live life right? If I go out now, did we do things properly? And I mean, man, what, a, what an exceptionally dark chorus. I would argue that this chorus is darker than that of My Bloody Valentine, where we're literally ripping out throats. Can you feel the cold tonight? It sets in, but it's all right. Darkness falls, I'm letting go. All alone, but I feel just fine. Yikes. And what's interesting is that we don't really get any closure for this song because it comes full circle. With his dog barking and a good boy at the end, right? And honestly, that kind of makes me think this whole song takes place in his head as he hears his dog bark in that split second.
1: Ooh, I like that.
0: I don't know if that's the case, but it feels to me because why else would you start and end it with the dog like like they do? It feels like it just happens in a flash. Like this is just a like an intrusive thought that he's had for a, a
1: second. Conceptually, I like it. Practically, I also like it. Hey,
0: that's a double win. But that's pretty much that's pretty much the day that I die. An outlier on this album, and I. Think maybe it's an outlier for the worse. The next song is track twelve, "The Young and the Hopeless." Title track alert.
1: Title track.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And you know, I'm always way more critical of title tracks than I am other tracks because if you're gonna name your album after a track, it better be a good track. All I'm saying.
0: Sure. Well, I feel like in this case they had the name picked out first, and then they wrote the uh, the. Then they wrote the song for it.
1: Well, then you better write a good song <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. in that scenario, you know. I don't care which came first, the chicken or the egg. It just all better be tasty. Sure. What do you think? Did they pull it off? I think they did. I like the young and the hopeless. I do too. Yeah. This is another one of those ones that when they hit that, that chorus, and they go, because I'm young and I'm hopeless. ba da ba 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 I really like it. The, the, the beat. Yeah. It is a great
0: Chorus as usual and verses lyrically are also stronger. And the instruments are fun on this one. Hard days made me, hard nights shaped me. I know I'm making something out of this life they called nothing.
1: These kind of instrumentals, like on this one, where they get a little harder, are definitely what distinguish them as like a punk rock versus a uh, like pop punk. Like some of their songs, you know, feel a little poppier when they get going, but like ones like this really, I think, help define them as rock, punk rock, in my opinion.
0: Definitely. They definitely lean more towards the the punk side than the pop side. I also really like that that pre-chorus, too. If I make it through today, will tomorrow be the same? Am I just running in place? Because we've heard that before way, 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 way back on the anthem.
1: Ah, yes.
0: Where the lyric is, it's a new day, but it all feels old. It's a good life, or so I'm told, but everything feels the same. Here we've got the, you know, am I running in place? Is tomorrow going to be just like now? And it's cool that we're able to loop it so thematically together this deep into the album. We, we can link the anthem, the, the album's literal anthem, with the title track that way. Not to mention the chorus is so strong, like it's interwoven with all these themes. I'm young and I'm hopeless, I'm lost and I know this, I'm troublesome, I'm fallen, I'm angry at my father. It's all there. All the pieces are here. I think it executes its title trackness well. The next song, track 13 of 14, uh, feels a little bit backwards. It's called Emotionless, but it's one of the most emotional songs on the record. Our ballad. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Emotionless is a letter to his dad, kind of an addendum onto the story of my old man, because in that one, he's talking to us, the listeners, and telling us the story of his old man, in this one, we get to hear what he would say directly to him. He asks why his dad left, he wonders if he's quote-unquote happy out there in the great wide world, or whether he misses his kids at all. The chorus that I really like is, it's been a long, hard road without you by my side. It's the first time, honestly, that he's acknowledged that. Even in the other songs, you know, just just a track ago in The Young and the Hopeless, he says, it's me against the world and I don't care. But I mean, in this song, we kind of get to see that that's more of a facade and he kind of does care. It's been a long, hard road. You broke my mother's heart. You broke your children. It's not okay, but we're all right. Like we're getting through it in spite of all the things you've made us go through.
1: I like the concept of calling the song emotionless, even Though it's all about the emotions he had and the emotions he has. Maybe emotionless refers to the state he presumes
0: that his his father father has.
1: That's exactly what I was about to say was that I think the songs, the title is about the father, even though the lyrics are about him. I really like the verse melody, the chorus. For a power ballad doesn't go power enough for me. Sure, sure. It's not it's not super power. It feels like it sets it up like it should be, though. The, the way the song starts and the way that, that the verse builds as you get through it, it really feels like it's setting up and they kind of give you a hit when they speed it up there for the chorus. It just it doesn't hit enough.
0: Like Poison. It feels like it's going to be a big Poison song, but it's way less hair metal and way more uh, pop punk. Yeah, sure, I get that. But moving on, the last song on this album is Moving On. This is another track. We've had a couple of albums that have been this way, but Moving On is another track that just feels like closing
1: credits to me. And it's great. It's a great song.
0: Yeah, especially later on when we get into the chanting part where he just kind of goes, you know, life, hope, truth, trust faith, pride, love, lust. He just he just kind of chants it all, and uh, it's fine. I, I like it, but it does definitely have the feeling of the last track. It feels like we're winding down, the curtains dropped, and we're taking bows. Lyrically, I still think there's a lot of good decisions made here, right? When I think about my life, I wonder if I'll survive to see 25. As a 24-year-old, that seems like a wild thought to me, although, you know, Joel Madden was actually 23 himself when this record came out, which I think that fact helps some of these lyrics, but hurts some other ones. notably. I think knowing that he's 23 really helps with songs like Emotionless or even something like Lifestyles, of the Rich and Famous, like he's old enough to know kind of what he's talking about. Uh, but I also think it hurts songs like if we if we needed another reason to tear down girls and boys i think it hurts girls and boys and it hurts the anthem like high school being like a jail cell to know that he's like 23 and being like man high school sucked but you know that's just a, a personal thing that doesn't change the content of the song just changes how i understand it i love the line too not everybody knows that everybody goes to a better place a lot of internal rhymes it's a neat line and uh you know so we keep moving on even though hard times will come and i think in that regard it's kind of a fitting thematic end to an album like this like yeah we might be young and hopeless and even though we don't necessarily have anything to move towards we're gonna keep moving on and holding on because something else has to be somewhere ahead right it's kind of the epitome of young and hopeless like we'll just we'll just keep moving on because we've got places to go and we'll just see where we end up yeah so that's it for me i i think that's that's the end of this album and i'm about ready to dig into some final spin let's do it Okay, so let's talk scores. This album, musically, is is not bad for me. I know you're not big into the pop-punk thing, but I like it well enough. A lot of the choruses are really sing-alongable and, and pretty fun to get into, to belt out. I don't know, I, I just like them a lot. I think it's it's like solid for a 2002 pop-punk album. It's everything I would expect. And, I mean, not much more, but I wouldn't expect more. So I'm giving music an 83. 83, all right. Yeah, lyrics. Oh, lyrics are a bit of a sticking point. Aside from a few standouts, like most of... M- motionless and, you know, I can sometimes hear the sound of a smile in your voice. Other, you know, there are a couple of, like, gems, right? Yeah. A couple of diamonds in the rough, but, you know, there is a lot of rough. Boys and Ferraris and high school was a jail cell and They've got mansions, we should rob them, and I don't know, things here and there. And they all kind of push and pull and ebb and flow, but in the end, I think the scale tips more towards the worst side for lyrics. I'm giving them, I think, a 76 on this record. Uh, instruments in production, I think they're all pretty good instrumentalists. Uh, we've talked about the drummer's drum for darn near everyone, <laughs> so that's pretty flawless. I like a lot of the decisions they make with guitar cutouts. Right, and a lot of the building into sections that they do is really cool. The instrumental track, at least the vast majority of it, is really, really interesting. And captivating, and I think they do a good job. I really like the instruments on Lifestyles, very heavy handed, very pop punky. I'm just giving instruments in production an 84. Satisfactory, very nice. Vibe, I think, is the score that's gonna surprise you, because I think this album is really pretty coherent. We've followed the whole thread of Young and Hopeless all the way through, through every single track, and I think it's interesting, like you've pointed out, that they find so many cool ways to mirror ideas on this album. Like the first half presents all these ideas, and then the second half, switches styles and kind of represents a lot of them to us in a different way i think that's interesting i think this album its dna is pop punk through and through and it never deviates very consistent and it's just kind of fun to listen to you you want to blow off some steam and pretend that it's 2002 again this'll do it it'll take you right back i'm giving it a 90 for vibe i disagree i knew you would
1: but only because i agree that with you that they follow the thread the entire album like from a concept they nail it right But whereas you are giving points for the shift in style from half one to half two, I would argue that I would take points away for that. I much prefer the second half style, as I've said, the uh, the first half. And I think that if they'd had that consistently throughout the whole album, then I would have agreed with your 90.
0: Okay. Overall... Add all those numbers up, 83 in music, 76 in lyrics, 84 in instruments, and a 90 in the vibe. Plus, they wrote all the songs. That's a big bonus point. It gets an 83.4 overall. You already know what my question is going to be. That puts it at number 253. Okay. Yeah, interesting fact, that's only 1% tenth of a point higher than Avenged Sevenfold. And I think in large part that's due to a war between the lyrics and the instrumentation. I think this has the better lyrics by just a smidge, believe it or not. But production by far goes to Avenged Sevenfold. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's the tenth of a point difference if you're curious. So number 253 for The Young and the Hopeless by Good Charlotte. Now, how about you? We've got information that we need from you. We don't even know your top three.
1: Yes, I actually have new information for my final spin rather than just (laughs)
0: You get something new to talk about Tell us
1: Yeah uh, I will start though with my summary Of second half of the album Top notch Really enjoyed it Really got into it It's what I kind of anticipated The whole album being I just wish those first seven tracks Had been that way Yeah And so let's just jump into, because I have some actual things to say about my top three. Well, let's talk about them in album order. Sure. The first one to pop up is My Conorable Mention, and that goes to song number one, (laughs) A New Beginning. Yeah. Oh, I'm not surprised. It's the best song on the first half by far. The next one to pop up goes to Hold On. That's my first top three. Way, way down on track eight
0: when I mentioned that you hadn't given us any
1: top threes yet. (laughs) Coincidentally, I really like the I really like the hold on hit that they do. It's one of the best hits, I think, on the album. And it's just a real sing. It's one of the my favorite like songs to sing along to on the album. The next one we're going to talk about is Say Anything, which is my next top three.
0: Mm good
1: pick it's one it's the best written song on the album in my opinion from a lyrical standpoint and probably from like a cohesiveness. like it's the best like package song like if you had to wrap all these songs up in a package with a little bow this one looked the most presentable in my opinion it's the most complete song the final counter top three is the closing track moving on interesting great Had yeah, the great instrumental distortions at the beginning uh it was a true like like said, punk rock song like it, it leaned heavier to the rock aspects of it yeah and I really enjoyed the shouting behind the chorus uh, that they that they have yeah the curtain call bit a new beginning hold on say anything moving on so by far for you okay
0: so i guess it's time to talk what once we want to put on the playlist and i think i'm gonna have to take something from the first half of the album because it's it seems like you're gonna be back half heavy. I think it's got to be the anthem. I think it's just a fun rocker. Uh, it interesting. It embodies the pop punk ideal of I don't want to be like you. I want to do my own thing, my own way. That's that's gonna have to be my pick. I think, like I said, it's one of Good Charlotte's biggest songs uh, overall. I don't know which one I'd prefer, hold on or say anything. Well, you can you can say anything. You can't hold on. We've come to the crucial point. We have to make a decision.
1: I think I I think I'd like to put say anything on the on the playlist because again, it's the best the most presentable, wrapped-up, neat bow song.
0: I think that's actually a a pretty good pairing. I think they go together well.
1: So the anthem and Say Anything. I also want to point out here, uh, we... Did something backwards from how we usually end up, like where we usually land on the album. Uh, what's that? You'll ha- you'll listen to these out al- an album for a month, and so you'll get really in there on some of the lesser known songs, the ones that aren't just instantly earworms. And you'll take a lesser known pick, and I a lot of times just fall right in line with what's the you know public's most popular songs. <laughs> you know, no, you're right. <laughs> Whereas here, pretty much every song I took, let's see, on Spotify, New Beginning has two million plays. Hold on, has twelve. Um, Uh, say anything has four and moving on has just under four compared to your pick, which had 273 million.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we've flipped the script. We've really, we're all in identity crisis mode lately. That is interesting, isn't it? I, I didn't even realize that. So uh, what, what's that put it all in score mode? You've talked about all your tracks now and the
1: split. This one, for me, seven secret blue-haired princesses out of ten.
0: Seven? Seven secret blue-haired princesses from the Good Charlotte book. Yes. Out of ten. Okay. Yeah, it's, that's actually a really fitting unit because it's literally who Good Charlotte
1: is. The real secret blue-haired princesses were the friends we made along the way. Girls don't like boys.
0: Girls like <laughs> secret blue-haired princesses <laughs> and, and money. money. So 10 out of 10 for the cotton candy grape and a 7 for Good Charlotte.
1: Spin it episode 34 had the first official spin it 10 out of 10 from Connor. The <laughs> first official 10 out of 10. Again, I apologize for the clickbaity title uh, or description. We're not going to be able to help ourselves it happens if you've had cotton candy grapes whether as a child or you went and got some because you heard about them for the first time last week too let us know how uh, how you felt about them
0: jared leto invest in grapes i'm still trying i'm still on the (laughs) campaign trail for that point you
1: need it after this week you know i got one up on you i got two up on you i
0: know i gotta get that point
1: i'm coming back the comeback
0: begins the mixtape is young and hopeful well that's uh that's gonna wrap up the episode for this week i have been james
1: and i am still connor
0: Yep, still. He's never not been anyone else.
1: He's never not been. Always been me. Uh, Grape update. I did. I did eat them all, by the way.
0: I did too. Yeah. Uh,
1: when did you finish yours? Uh, we should have done a grape check partway through.
0: <laughs> it was before Factor Spin was like halfway done. I had a whole bowl full. I didn't
1: like eat the whole pound of grapes that I bought, but. Oh, no, I ate literally every grape. <laughs> I don't have any grapes left. That's a lot. I finished them at about my bloody Valentine was about when I finished them. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I, I i sucked them down. It feels weird though. You sure you don't want to cut all the grape content and shove it in like two weeks from now? It just feels weird to be on top of the content for once. No,
0: no, we're on top of the content. Grapes. Anyway, check us out on social media at pod on Twitter, at pod Official on Instagram. Find us on the web at www.spinitpod.com. uh The mixtape is already done a little bit of a teaser. Next week, we're talking about an artist I'm really excited to get into. The one, the only, Janis Joplin. It's an episode I don't want to miss. So it's an episode that you won't want to miss. And it's an episode I might miss. If you miss the episode, that, that'd be a bummer. <laughs> that'd be a, a real bummer. Uh, until next time. You know what to do. You know what to do. Get Buy some, some cotton can candy grapes. grapes. <laughs> and, oh, <laughs> I can't believe we both went there. I hate it. I hate us so much. The same joke. And keep spinning
1: yeah keep spinning everybody oh my gosh
0: same brain cell except when it comes to everything we talk about on this podcast (laughs) then we split the brain cell right down the middle this is a this podcast is made of two half brain cells working together